it's something I've noticed as another common trait that these highest of achievers, they're living on purpose. And whether they know what that purpose is, you know, whether they've said, here's what my purpose is and have it on a wall, or whether they just inherently live by it, they've seemed to have a purpose statement. You know, when I ask the question, they can all tell me instantly what their passion is and what their purpose is. And so what I recommend to people is putting together their purpose statement. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start Ed Up podcast, a member of the Education Podcast Network. Today, I've got on Corey Poirier. Corey is an interviewer extraordinaire. This guy has interviewed thousands, and I mean literally thousands of thought leaders, authors, innovators. And one of the things that I just want to dig deep into is like some of the patterns he's seen. Um, one of the things I, I heard from somebody a long time ago say, you know, innovation a lot of times is pattern recognition, seeing where things have always been and where they're going. And so I wanted to uh, see what Corey has learned over these many years. And uh, we get into some really interesting stories um, from Zig Ziglar to other really high-powered people. And uh, we kind of dig deep on some of the patterns and some of the things that you can start to replicate in your life. So for that reason, I really, really, really enjoyed this conversation, and I know you will too. Uh, you can find more about Corey in the links below in the item descriptions. Uh, and again, I, I recommend you uh, take a look at what Corey's done. This guy has interviewed so many interesting people. All right, so dig deep in this one. I know that you're going to enjoy it. So without further ado, Corey Poirier. All right, welcome back to Start It Up. Today, I have Corey Poirier with me. Corey, thanks so much for joining us. I am absolutely super excited and stoked to be here, Don. Okay, so like I'm cheating, right? Because normally I try not to have too many conversations with the guest because sometimes there's that newness and that fun conversation. Uh, but we've obviously talked in the past, and and so um, we we know each other pretty well enough to to where I'm going to try to go a level deeper for sure. But the one thing I really want to key in on is that you you've interviewed a lot of people, and you're starting to understand that genetic code, so to speak, of people that are well, successful. And uh, if there's one thing I'm always trying to dig deeper on is that mindset. It's that attitude that a lot of the top performers have. Now, you can, without a doubt, you can be happy and name drop. Um, but I also want to get into those commonalities. Uh, so tell everybody what you do and, and why you've had all these interviews. Yeah, so thanks so much, Don. I, I guess in the interviews, how it all started and, and sort of how it's gotten up to the number it has, which is uh, well over 4,000, which still kind of blows my mind. Um, yeah, that's just amazing. So I'll, I'll tell you when it, when it made me realize it was a really big number is, and, and you know, this is not meant to be a name drop, it's just specifically where it happened, but John Lee Dumas, who you're probably familiar with, with the Entrepreneur on Fire show. So I was on John's show and, and I was on twice and he said it both times in the interview and it spoke to me. And then I interviewed him about a week ago and he said it again, but he said, Corey, on the show, he said, you're one of the only guests, if not the only guests I've ever had on the show who's interviewed more people than me. And he's doing daily interviews and has been for like yeah. five years. Yeah, um, but he's not going to catch up at this, at this clip, right? <laughs> as long as I keep going, because he said, I will catch you. And he's like that slow but steady guy that he's got so much discipline it may happen, but it still reminded me of how big of a number it is whenever he's interviewing, well, almost 2,000 people, and none of them have interviewed more people than him. So I say that, and uh, I guess I'll throw in in terms of how it all started in terms of these interviews, is essentially back in, uh, let's see here, what was it, 2005? Now, it started before that, but 2005 is when it picked up momentum. I launched a business publication. 
And I really, it was like Success Magazine, but it was a newspaper type publication. And I just really wanted to teach people in my local region and local area about entrepreneurship and essentially say, here's what I'm learning. So I do the interviews and, and print the interviews. And so that's where the numbers started picking up because I was doing 80 to 100 interviews every month for six years with that publication. And so the numbers started piling up quickly. And then about five years ago, we made the transition over to radio slash podcast world. And that's, and then the numbers just kept going. Uh, so that's in terms of how it started. But what happened on, you know, why did it keep going? Because I think it's a rare person that really wants to spend that much time interviewing. And what happened is I became obsessed by it. And so when I say not a lot of people want to spend that much time, I was at podcast movement this year. And they were sharing some statistics. And that's the, for people that don't, aren't familiar with it, it's the largest podcasting conference. And they were sharing that, I think they said the average podcast lasts nine weeks, and then people abandon it. So that tells me not everybody's thrilled with or excited about the idea of interviewing thousands of people. So what I learned is that I became obsessed by it. And I'm a huge fan of Napoleon Hill and his work in Think and Grow Rich which is essentially almost a carbon copy of what I've been doing over the last bunch of years. And so I just really think that it draws me to it, to learn about people and what you said, what are the commonalities, what are the things they do, and actually, even as important, what are the things they don't do that everybody else does? And so that's what I became obsessed by. That's how the numbers sort of started. That's how it all began. And then now today, I just keep on going because I can't let it go. Yeah, well, and, and you're not fooling me. Um, you're like, why am I doing this? It's fun. Like, I, I find it energizing because I, I think we're in such a unique time that people are spending an inordinate amount of time researching things that make them mad. I, people just get on, they camp out on Facebook and Twitter and they're like, okay, who's going to make me mad today? Who am I going to be offended by? I'm like, oh my gosh, how about you talk to people that inspire you? Shocker. And, and so when people, I just, I can't, like, I can't get over the fact that you know, we get to do this. Uh, and, and, it, and it takes no budget, basically. Um, and I think that's the other part of it. So yeah, I, I just I love the fact that you've, you've wanted to talk to this many people. However, and this is my next question. It, it, is it is it me? Or does the recipe to success? It, it's not that it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, so, <laughs> so what I will say is that there's two sides. There's kind of like, what is the, that recipe? What are some of the key things? And then there's the commonalities, which I think actually are part of what the key things are. One yeah. of the things you just mentioned, Dom, which is it's something I've never thought about until the second in terms of something that these high achievers have in common, because it's not a question I would ask, but it's something I've noticed that they have in common. And I talk about this in my talks about, you mentioned Facebook. So one of the things that's great about Facebook and maybe not so great, the not so great is because it's more of a personal first uh, type um, social media platform. One of the things that's wild about it is that when it comes to um, in terms of what you what you receive and what you see on Facebook, these days with Facebook, I love that they did this. It really it comes back to what do you like a lot? So if you click like and click and comment on stuff, you're going to receive more of it and more by that person. And if you don't comment and don't like, you're going to receive less. So here's something I've noticed is the highest of achievers, they don't go around looking for trolling for the negative stuff. They only like and share and, and connect and, and get engaged with the positive stuff. So what that means is Facebook now, the way they're set up, serve them more of that. They see more of who they communicate with. So it's interesting. I think they don't see, like, I don't see a lot of negativity on Facebook now because I don't get engaged in the conversations about negativity. So it seems to disappear off your newsfeed, if that makes sense. So it's 
it's a common trait that I didn't realize until you said it. But when I think about it, I follow a lot of these people and I never see negativity anywhere near their posts. Well, I because I think that that most of these people are driven by what works. Um, you know, we had talked earlier about you know I, s- several people that I that I'm acquainted with. They they are they find it funny that people take it really personal when their sports team didn't win, and the you know people are like we lost, and they're like there isn't no we you don't play, you know because they're and they and sometimes they're like there was a game last night, and they're like what do you mean? They're like yeah, I was too busy working on my passion, <laughs> and I love that approach. Absolutely, for sure, and. So, you know, Don, what I'll add, um, if you want, I can, I can actually go in the direction of sharing a commonality or a trait. And yeah, please do. Well, and this will kind of, you know, you talked about that sort of recipe or formula for success, maybe not being as hard as we think. And I think, like I say, that I call it the time of secrets. And these are secrets that I say they're secrets because like less than 5% are doing them. It doesn't mean we don't know about them. But, um, but I say that what I've noticed is the ones that apply these success comes a lot easier to them. So when you said it's not that hard, if you do the right things, it's not, it turns out as hard as, as it is for others and who aren't doing the right things. So one of the biggest ones, and it's kind of interesting because it's, it's almost um, a misnomer. I think a lot of people would actually not realize this one. And what it is, is that I grew up in a small town. And so I grew up in this tiny little town where I was kind of taught you say yes to everything and then you figure out how to do it. And then I heard this Richard Branson uh, quote that was similar to that. And it really threw me for a loop because I'm like, okay, I'm studying the highest of achievers and most of them, and I'm going to explain what they do differently from this, but most of them don't say yes to everything and then do it. And so I'm like, why would Richard Branson say that? The guy's running 200 some companies and he's obviously not in running every aspect of each of those companies or micromanaging them, or he would only have one company. And so then I eventually found the other part of the quote. Of course, somebody shared a paraphrase quote. The other part was, uh, say yes to everything you love and figure out how to do it. So that, and, or only the things you love, but I think he said everything. So going back to the original point here, I grew up in this small meat and potatoes town where my grandfather even said, just say yes to everything and you'll have more opportunity. And then I go and start interviewing these highest of achievers. And here's what I discover. This may not surprise you, Don. Most of them say no to all yeah. the things that won't help them or will get in the way of their passion or purpose so that they can say yes to the few that'll move the needle. Yeah. And the distinction here is you mentioned somebody that normally you wouldn't think would ever, you know, just jump on a plane and go visit you at school. And so what I, when I say this, some people think I'm saying, okay, well, they say no to that stuff because it's not part of their purpose. No, that's something they want to do. They love to do, give back. That's yeah. still a yes. So if it makes sense how I'm sharing it, basically they say no to the distractions so they can say yes to all the things that are going to move the needle in the biggest way. That's a really good point because I, I'm, I'm a, mid, a Midwesterner and we're notorious for being helpful at all costs. And um, there is, there's that. And it's been a learning curve that I've had to adjust to because I, I just, I feel sick when I say, especially to, to schools. Um, sometimes it's like a, um, hey, can you come out here and help this school? No, because I can't. It's a bad week, or I have to teach, or whatever. And then, and 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 learning how to say no. Well, and, and I'll add in too, Don. It's interesting. A lot of the, the um, let's say the people that are, for lack of a better way of saying it, you know, these the thought leaders that are impacting a million people a year from the stage and, and writing, what have you. Interestingly enough, almost every one of them has an assistant or somebody. And I mean, in certain cases, like larger companies, I know a speaker I'm thinking of who has 100 staff members, and there's probably four people 
as gatekeeper set up to make sure that those, he doesn't even have to say no. The no's don't even get to him. Uh, like everyone, every once in a while, one will probably skim through, but he can still say to somebody else, can you get back to them and let them know I can't make that work. But interestingly enough, uh, one thing I always remember, this person I had in the show who, who shared how she says no. And I thought there's so many people that could benefit from this. So I'll share it now because it's, it's a great way to say no, where you don't feel bad and the person doesn't probably hold it against you. It's uh, the, the person himself, and this is on the interview, so it's public that she shared this, but Shailene Johnson, who's the uh, creator of Turbo Jam, and she has a couple of big podcasts. And So uh, she was telling us that whenever somebody asks her, if you can take this on or help me with this, Shailene, what she says is she's really, everybody knows she's family-oriented and she's big around the family side of the business. So her and her husband, Brett, run the business together, and she says, you know what, let me check with Brett and see if we have anything, you know, booked at this timeline. And I, I mean, I don't want to say that I can take something on that I can't that'll impact the family, because as you know, I put a lot of focus on our family time. Let me check. I'll get back to you. If I can't take it on, I can't promise, but I'll do my best to try to find somebody who can help you. Would that work okay for you? It's hard to get mad at somebody who says no. Yeah. Yeah, you you built up the, 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 hey, it's not just me. It's somebody I love that is replacing you. Like, I, I want to help you, but guess who's more important? My child, my marriage. That's, that's, no, that's, that's great. I, I, I say the same thing to my students. I'm like, a lot, oftentimes I'm like, make me the bad guy. Like, if you're trying to get out of something and it's just not working out, I'm like, just use like the bad guys. Hey, I would, but I've got this real jerk of a teacher and he's got so many demands on me. I just can't. Uh, so I, I love, the, I love the straw man, even when the straw man is real. So, and obviously that is real, but I, yeah, that's, that's good. I'm going to remember that one. I mean, there's probably a way that anybody listening can take that and, and tweak it to work for them. Uh, but I just found it's one of those rare occasions where, like you said, you can say no. And, and, and I mean, and really, she's not saying no. She's saying, maybe not, but I'll let you know. And But the way she's done it, it's, it's such a delicate way. And it makes you feel like, you know what? It's hard to get mad for somebody who, who puts their family first, but is also saying, I'll try. And yeah. so I think it's yeah. a good way to tweak. Because if, if, somebody, uh, people always ask me, how do I say no? And I have various ways I do it and hopefully still come out without the person saying what a jerk. I mean, there's sometimes they might say what a jerk, but I try to do what I feel is, is serving people in the best way possible. And as you said, a key thing, every time you say no, or I should say, yes, you're saying no to something else. And every time yep. you say no, you're saying yes to something else. So at the end of the day, I think if you're doing it for the right reasons and if you can find a delicate way to say it, the key takeaway is you'll find it'll allow you to be more productive and it'll allow you to crush it a lot more than the person that says yes to everything and then gets stressed out because they can't do everything. Yeah, yeah. Or learn the hard way and eventually write the ship like so many other people do. Uh, speaking of that, speaking of the hard way, so we were just kind of pontificating that so many of these qualities, like it, it, I guess it's like a good recipe. A lot of times good recipes are surprisingly simple. It's, it's you know, how you go about it. Um, some of the some of the recipes we've seen from success success aren't that difficult. Obviously, it's how you go about it. But what do you see is like what's holding people back more than anything? So this is interesting because it still ties into maybe I'll go a little further down the rabbit hole that it was just down in the sense because this really does tie into it and it's a, it's a sort of a new extension as well. But when I said about saying no to certain things and say yes to others. Another part of that, and you and I have chatted about this, is technology and the distractions we're hit with and the things that pull us in various directions. And it's harder than ever before to stay focused on one thing. Uh, Zig Ziglar, who you're probably familiar with that name, 
um, we've interviewed Zig before his passing and then his son, Tom. And I was asking Tom why Zig was such an amazing speaker. And he said, the psychologist one time watched his talk and he was speaking on the same stage at the time with Colin Powell and Bill Clinton. And the guy said, people felt your father loved them. And he was like, they, he got the massive standing ovation. And so he said, I actually brought him to the side, the psychologist and said, do you know that uh, you have a lot of humor in your talks? And Ziegler said, absolutely. And he said, do you know uh, how much though? And he said, no. And he said, every seven minutes, you're either dropping something different, you're putting in a laugh, you're, you're doing something to switch things up. And he said, do you know why you do that? And he said, it's because today, and this was probably the 80s, but because it's about seven minutes between every commercial on TV. So that's our attention span was seven minutes at the time in the 80s. Tom added in, it's probably now two minutes. So going back to my original point, we have so many things pulling in for our attention. Yeah. It's hard to sit through a brilliant speaker without thinking all the things you have to do. So what I've noticed is what people struggle with and what high achievers do really well. So what people struggle with is getting bogged down in the distractions and chasing, as we call it, the shiny objects and not being able to be linear focused on one thing. And then I've noticed the high achievers are the ones that can go and there's a great book called The One Thing. They can focus on the one thing that's going to make everything happen for them. So it comes back to focus. So people struggle with the discipline to have the focus and the ones that are willing and able to do it are the ones that seem to have success and it comes for them quite a bit easier. That's, yeah, that, that is shockingly true um, because it's that, well, heck, I even feel sad saying this now. I've seen, you know, so many people that are now really endorsing podcasts are because there's divided attentions that you can do podcasts while, well, heck, I listen to, I listen to podcasts a lot of times mowing my lawn or driving. Um, and so I feel somewhat guilty about saying that. But yes, I mean, we, we are in a attention economy for sure. And so many things are grabbing your attention. Um, I, th I think that's, that's also another thing we've seen um, by opportunity hackers in that are my students. They start off by going, man, what am I going to work on? And after a couple months, if they understand the mindset a lot, they, they, their eyes are wide open and they go, man, what am I going to limit myself to? Like, cause I mean, there's so many things out there. I could be doing so many things and then, and, and I'm guilty. I am guilty. Cause I, you know, all of a sudden when, when I started getting a lot of requests, I kept saying yes to everything. And that was a problem. Well, and, and I'll add in this, if you don't mind too, Don, in terms of a strategy for how to start saying no. And, you know, we talked about what you could do, like Shalene said, but I'll, I'll tell you how I say no. How do I decide? Because that's the hard part too, is how do you decide what to say yes to? How do you decide what to say no to? And so I put, I was looking to show, like, I, I put a book out uh, in the last, well, we did a Kickstarter launch a month ago, and then we're going to Amazon soon. Anyway, in the book, one of the things I talk about is the importance of having a purpose statement. You know, you can call it whatever you want, a mission statement for yourself, a personal mission statement. I call it a purpose statement. And it's something I've noticed as another common trait that these highest of achievers, they're living on purpose. And whether they know what that purpose is, you know, whether they've said, here's what my purpose is and have it on a wall, or whether they just inherently live by it, they've seemed to have a purpose statement. You know, when I ask the question, they can all tell me instantly what their passion is and what their purpose is. And so what I recommend to people is putting together their purpose statement. Now, it can be easy, so I'm going to tell you mine, and this will tie into how I decide what to say no and yes to. Uh, so my purpose statement is simply to be the guy who motivates, donates, inspires, educates, and entertains. That's sort of my five-point test. And so here's how I say no or yes. Somebody says, Corey, do you want to take this on? And I start 
asking a few questions and I see quickly, is it one of those or is it all five of those? Is yeah. it three? And so what happens, as you can see where I'm going with this, I've had people invite me to be, have my own ch television show, but it was one of those. It, it wasn't the right fit. It was, I wasn't going to be able to entertain. It wasn't going to be a topic area I was passionate about. And so it became an easy no, even though years ago I would have said yes to a TV show if anybody would give me the airtime. And yeah. So it really, so by looking at that and saying, is how many of those is it? I can make an easy yes or an easy no, walk away with my hands together and not have any regret. So that's what I use as a system. Yeah. Yeah. Although let me push back a little bit to the average person. So like you said, now you would say no, because you now have, um, have had a longer runway of opportunities. The hard part is when somebody just all of a sudden gets thrust into a your successful role or on their way to success. And they feel almost the need that they have to say yes to everything because if they don't, they have that FOMO kick in. And they're like, well, I, I said no to the wrong thing or I have to say yes to everything. That I, I see as a, as a big problem, especially when you're young. Yeah, absolutely. And I will add, uh, there's this great quote that somebody shared with me one time and he said about the speaking field. You know, so there's, I mean, there's speakers right now that are paying Pay, they call it pay for play, but paying to get on stage. And there's speakers that, you know, the numbers will blow your mind. You know what Tony Robbins and Bill Clinton getting paid to do a talk today. You know, so there's a big range. And somebody shared with me one time, they said, Corey, when I started, if somebody would pay me 25 bucks to do a 45 minute keynote on the sidewalk at the stoplight, I would do it. And now, and he said, I don't mean this Nicole way, but just to draw the comparison, I wouldn't get out of bed for under X amount of dollars. And yeah. so he, he said, look, my time is at a demand where I can serve clients that can pay my fee, but also I can only serve so many. So I have to make a decision who I'm gonna serve. And if I can serve, let's say, I'm just saying, say his fee was $5,000. If I can serve mostly those clients throughout the year, then maybe I can donate $1,000 from every talk. But if I'm doing all the talks for 50 and 25 bucks, I'm struggling to find food to eat for, and to get food on the table. So I'm not gonna be much good to anybody. But at the same time, when he was starting, he would take those, those talks every day of the week. So going back to that point, you know, when I was on my journey, starting this whole thing, I said yes to most things. You know, if they were going to help me move what I thought the needle, I might say yes to two things that today I might look at and say, this is a yes, that's a no. So I do agree that you have to say yes to a lot more when you're on your way up, as long as it's stuff that's at least in alignment with what you're trying to do. But I also believe that it's important if you can do it to start start weeding it out a little bit. Or even if you say yes, start saying this is something in the future I'll say no to. Because like you said, what happens to almost everybody who eventually gets maxed out for their demands is most people don't start weeding that stuff out and then it hits them. And like you said, then all of a sudden they're swamped and they have 50 yeses on the table and like, how do I get out of this? And then they have to start yeah. to say no, but still finish all those yeses that they don't have time to finish. So if you can yeah. at least be discriminate when you're starting out as to what you would normally say no to, but you're saying yes now because you have the time, maybe prioritize and say, this is a hard yes. This is a maybe no, for, but not for now. <laughs> I think that's at least better than just ignoring it and doing everything and then just hoping. Right. Well, yeah, you're very good point because just ignoring it or worse yet, and man, I hate it when I can <laughs> commit to so many things and then you just forget and then you, you lose professionalism. I hate to say that's happened before with me, but I, again, like I said before, I hated saying no. And what was probably more damaging to a couple people out there is that they're like, what a jerk. He said that he was going to make this Skype call to our faculty at 6 you know, a.m. or whatever, and he didn't show because I <laughs> overcommitted. So, 
that that's that is always something to worry about too. Um, so uh, other kind of takeaways you've seen, and and I'm going to start focusing now on the younger crowd, right? Um, I, I've seen and we've been able to both interview and just kind of get to see younger entrepreneurs that that I, I hate to say that there's different. Um, what are like what do you see in that kind of genetic DNA, so to speak, of you know at age seventeen? Because like like some of the top people I know, they were <laughs> I'm going to say this nicely they they weren't too some of them weren't too bright at age seventeen, and and yet here lately, and 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 you can weigh in this. I've seen Generation Z really, and there's been some things about it here recently in Forbes and Time and everything else. Generation Z seems to be that generation that's all of a sudden saying, uh. We're going to start questioning everything, and they're a little more entrepreneurial than, say, millennials. Yeah, so there, I mean, there's so many, I guess we'll say so much proof about that when you look at the percentage of, of that, those uh, Zs that are saying, I'm going to stay home now, uh, you know, I'm going to find a way to work from home. I want yeah. lifestyle freedom. Yeah. Uh, I'm willing to, and you and I talked about this earlier, but I'm willing to work for 35000 a year and have the freedom Versus my friend who is working for 80,000, but has no freedom and just killing themselves daily. Yeah. And so it seems like one key takeaway I've noticed is that they place a much bigger value on time than a lot of, uh, if you go a big gap, baby boomers, like baby boomers. And, and I say this as, you know, maybe on the cusp of that, but like I look at my family and friends and stuff, they didn't really place a whole lot of value in time. You know, when I say that they would rather go to four grocery stores yeah. to save $2 on an item then actually have some more time for themselves. And so it seems like yes. the younger generations are saying, you know what? No, my time is everything. I can't get it back. And I'm willing to sacrifice for my time. I'm willing to work. Yes. Have three businesses as quote unquote side hustles uh, for, you know, rather than having one business that eats all my time too. And, and actually, uh, I think that's why we're seeing a big rise in the popularity of podcasts dedicated to side hustle. Yeah, I, I know three people that host side hustle shows who've all told me most of the people, like most of their listeners, are like twenty and younger. Yeah, yeah, so, I, I'm so glad you brought that up um, because I, I, it was all making sense to me because, you know, I, I've, I've talked to some um, younger kids that like as soon as they could work for Uber, they would because they're like every now and then I'm bored at one a.m. and I'm thinking I could do two hours and then be done. And it's that kind of freedom because what doesn't make sense to them is that, you know, high grit, go get them attitude of the 1980s. Like, you know, I'm going to work two jobs and I'm going to hustle and I'm going to do this and this and that. And they're over there going, why? Like, that's no fun. You're like, well, you don't make as much money. And then the average Gen Z kid's like, well, I don't care about as much money. I care about having you know, a lifestyle, which I, ironically enough, so I'm, I'm, I'm in Indianapolis area. And um, I hope that they go big. There was this new app service, basically, and that they're going to be the Uber of the restaurant and bar industry. And uh, they're called Snapshift. And essentially what they do is if you sign up with Snapshift, well, it's just like Uber. Like if you're, if, if you're bored on 2 a.m. and you're like, I want to drive, Uber will pay you. And it's, you know, not the taxi person or the, the fare person. It's the Uber pays you. So they had the same, you know, very, very similar model. So if you're like, you could be a, you know, if you want to be a server or a bartender and you, you know, are like bored, um, they're starting to find out that, you know, 
millennials and Gen Z are like, so instead of having to go work for one place, I can work whenever I want. Yep. So I, I hope that that, I, you know, I hope that A, that idea runs and B, they're hooking in just to exactly what you're talking about. They prefer flexibility in lifestyle over the, I'm going to work 50 hours this week um, attitude. Well, and here's the other side too, you know, to your point, I mean, and just to, to, to compare it, I mean, baby boomers, like you said, I mean, in the 80s, they were crushing it, working their tail off. But then you you hear the numbers, right? You you hear the actual numbers in North America of how many people are skyrocketed with debt, or they're or they're struggling, or they're you know they've hit maybe that retirement age, and they're like, how am I going to survive? I can't afford to live. So even I mean, and obviously that's not that's not that's generalized. That's not everybody, but there's a lot of those those people that put in all those hours, 60, 70 hours, two jobs, and you know hit sixty years old and say, I'm almost broke. You know, so I did it get them for their head is my point. I'm not saying it did for every, for a lot, but there's also right. a lot that it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. No, I, I it's, it's um, an unusual time because uh, the, both sides think that they're correct. And I guess both, uh, that's the reality The the, the um, baby boomers are like, wow, you lazy kids, you don't work as many hours as I did. And then Gen Z and some millennials are like, wow, you crazy baby boomer, you worked hard and missed life. Um, <laughs> both have unique perspectives for sure. So here's a question I'll circle back to you if you're okay with this, Don, but I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Sure. Something you just, you know, it, it just, and this popped into my head. So I just thought I should ask this question while it's front of mind. But in terms of, let's say Uber, term, in terms of, um, let's say that the, the chef, the restaurant uh, app you're talking about. So, do you think, so now baby boomers, I know I hear all the time because I do a lot in the way of, um, I used to do a lot of customer service uh, training, speaking, what have you. And I heard a lot of baby boomers at the time complaining about Generation X and millennials yeah. in yeah. terms of customer service. So they were saying, you know, they're not as dedicated. They don't, you know, they're not, like you said, they're not as tied into the company and all that kind of stuff. And that's probably in terms of the way that that baby boomer views that it's still not going to change probably with Z either, especially they, they know the person's working, they might take up, pick, jump into the Uber for two hours or whatever. But here's my question out of that. How do you think that's going to impact customer service, let's say from Z to Z? So in other words, Generation Z, uh, who's delivering for the two hours or in Uber for two, two hours, do you think that'll bother another Generation Z if that person isn't really tied to it, isn't that excited about being there? not that happy about it. Like, do you think they'll go, man, customer service sucks? Or will they just say, this is my generation, so I'm okay with it? I'm just wondering. Actually, I just watched an episode of Black Mirror that scared the living crap out of me because it was almost this. I think Gen Z works hard, especially in the Uberization of the how many stars did you get? If you get a one-star rating on Uber, you can only take too many. And then they're like, we don't employ you anymore. Uh, um, there was an episode of Black Mirror where everybody was giving a star rating for every transaction, even if it was like you're walking your dog and you said hi to your neighbor. And if you said it in a non, almost obsequious way, people were like, they'd give you a star instead of four or five stars. It was, uh, you've got to watch it. Like, like I, I know that this is a side thing now and I, I've got a podcast. We should stick to the topic, but I, heck, anybody listening to this podcast, the Black Mirror episode of, it's, it's set in the not too distant future and it turns into a social class system. Like she's trying to rent a car and she can't get one because she has under a four star rating. And that was crazy. So here's, 
I, so now when you mentioned the Black Mirror side of things, I'm wondering if it's the same episode because I just saw Pizza Hut post, I don't know if you saw this on, on Twitter, they posted a uh, self-automated truck or something. And uh, so basically it was a Pizza Hut automated truck and then Black Mirror retweeted it and they said, we know what you mean or something like that because apparently a recent episode of Black Mirror, they had an automated Pizza Hut truck and, and I don't know what happened. I didn't watch the episode, but that was, so is that the same episode or a different one altogether? I don't remember anything from Pizza Hut in it. Um, or you know, maybe there was, but it, it, it was, you know, they did have some customer service things in there that, you know, if they didn't do their part and smile really big, then there was a problem. And yet at the same time, if you didn't, um, you know, be nice back to the customer service and they would one star you, it was, it was scary how fake everything was and yet you had to be fake wow so i guess scarily you know scary enough that <laughs> maybe that there's some element of that that could exist in our future based on you know what we just talked about with with the approach that it's taking so i just thought i'd ask that question because I, I understand that you know to finish that sort of conversation off but i understand that if somebody's saying okay well i'm willing to buy in for two hours or three hours with uber but i'm not willing to buy in for an eight-hour shift and, you know, maybe it's because they, they, they'll do it, but they're not a big fan of it. I understand that a baby boomer is going to say, man, customer service is dropping. But I was just curious, yeah. how, within the same generation, would they view it that way? Or would they just say, hey, I'm, co I'm cool with that because I'd be the same. You know what? I, that's a darn good thing. I, I mean, that's, that's a darn good point. I, my personal take is almost kind of like the Tony Shea effect, right? So he trains his people so well there at Zappos that he gives them an option. You know, that, that famous, at the end of your training, you're offered a big, cash settlement if you just quit there on the spot because he knows that if you weren't a good fit you weren't going to be you were going to be damaging to the company i think that the satisfaction of you saying i freaking love my job i only did it for two hours a day i personally think it like yeah you have a point like they could half-ass it for sure because they're like well i don't even care because tomorrow i'm not going to be here anyway or conversely i mean obviously it depends on the individual but i, I see it almost the way of you know what i want to work and I just decided I really want to go home and get some Cheetos. I'm going to, I'm going to stop now. They'd probably stop before they got cranky or hangry. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And you know what? At the end of the day, it's not like there wasn't and isn't baby boomers that are terrible customer service. You know, it's not like we're saying this is isolated to a generational thing. So anyway, I didn't mean to take us down that, that sort of extra. No, no, I loved it. I loved it actually. No. And, and that's, that's probably where we're going to wrap anyway. Cause I think this is kind of the, um, understanding that, that we're, we're heading in uncharted territories and yet, and yet the recipes for success have been eerily similar over the last X amount of years. Um, and I think that's where we both have a unique thing is that I work with, I work with kids and yet I also see the things that are, we're talking about aren't found enough in schools, you know, fail, reflect, adjust, take risks, especially when you're young. Meanwhile, we've had 200 years of education saying, don't take any risks. Don't collaborate. Don't, you know, don't fail ever. Um, and I think that, that that's deeply disturbing, you know, to us both. Um, but I definitely wanted to, and so this, this is one of those podcasts that I'm like, I know that I'm just like asking you to feed me what I already believe, but I love hearing it because A, you've talked to so daggone many people, which I love, but yeah, I mean, man, we need to take, we need to take some notes from you guys. I mean, when I say we, education needs to take some notes from you guys because, hey, there's, there's a code here and, uh, 
maybe we should start taking a, a deeper look at it. So, anyway. well, and I'll, I'll with your permission, uh, Don, I'll add this in um, a couple of quick takeaways for somebody listening who's saying, okay, well, what are some other timeless secrets? So, you know, I shared a couple. Uh, I will add in, um, and this one wouldn't surprise people, but it's amazing how many people don't buy into it, which is that you need to not necessarily find your passion, ideally, but live on purpose. So, you know, they are two separate things. You know, passion is what you do. Purpose is why you're doing it. Ideally, you have both going for you. What I will say is that in all of the interviews, it's almost without exception, the top leaders that I've discovered, they are living on purpose. They're almost every day they spend doing what they want to do and what they love doing. You know, to back to our point about, you know, maybe tapping out after two hours if you don't still love it, but maybe you love it for two hours. But that's one of the key things is if you can find your passion or your calling or your purpose, you're going to work harder because you're not really working, as they, you know, the cliche says. Um, so that's a big one. And then a secondary big one that I've discovered is the um, feeding your mind. We talked about that a couple of times, but I've noticed these high achievers, A, love feeding their mind long after most people have quit feeding their mind. But here's the secondary part, B, they're more efficient at it. So going back to your point, they would adapt, you know, they'll be adapting right now to things like podcasting, TED Talks. So they're going to get something in a five-minute or 15-minute TED Talk that would have taken somebody else two days going the long route. Uh, so they're efficient at feeding their mind. And then at the same time, they believe in feeding their mind long after most people stop. And to put a big stamp on that, we had Jack Canfield on the show, so the creator of Chicken Soup for the Soul and the Success Principles. And Jack is notorious for going to like Tony Robbins seminars. And Jack and Tony are buddies, so he doesn't have to do this. He goes there and sits at the back of the room and fills a notebook. That's, you know, now I think he's 72 or 73. And then there'll be a 19-year-old next to him. Somebody was telling me this. Uh, and then Jack, I brought the story up to him. But there's a 19-year-old next to him, and they're looking at Jack like, why are you taking all the notes, bud? You know, Jack doesn't probably need it as much as that kid but he still believes in it. So, you know, to the point, I would say two more timeless secrets I've discovered is figure out what your desire is. And I'm using that word for a reason because I mentioned Napoleon Hill earlier and we can do a full circle um, and then uh, feed your mind. What's interesting is if a person wants to know what all of these uh, fundamentals are, go back and read uh, Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich from 1936 because I've discovered a few new ones because of modern technology and what have you. But the truth is, Don, most of what I've learned that works worked in 1936. So back to your point, it's, it's really the same yeah. thing that most people aren't willing to do. Or yep. Aren't. Yep. I totally agree. I, a lot of times uh, some of my students that want to kind of grow more, they're like, where should I start? And I'm like, you're going to laugh when you see the publication date. Um, but how to win friends and influence people. <laughs> like it's so simple and it's so basic, but most people don't do those things. So, you know what? First book I ever read in my life, 27 years of age. I didn't read a book until I was 27, and that was the Game Changer book. I yeah. read it twice because it was so good. So I always yeah. say the first and second book. So when you yeah. mentioned the book, I had to tie into that as well. That that's I always recommend that book to everybody. Yeah, I love some of his classics. I remember when I was uh, – somebody darn near forced me to read uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and my mouth was agape for the first couple chapters, and I thought, okay, I need a highlighter. And never, never had I torn into a book like that. I, I, and I've been a nonfiction guy ever since. Um, yeah, I love, I love those moments. Awesome. Well, Corey, you've dropped all these nuggets of wisdom. So we've only scratched the surface with a lot of things you have learned. So tell everybody else where they can find you. Probably the best bet. It, it, I guess it's the easiest bet and, and best bet now is uh, that speaker guy.com. It's pretty easy 
website domain, thatspeakerguide.com. And if somebody's listening and they want to, um, they want to get some free insight, right out there on the page, we have articles that uh, for mine and Forbes and, and entrepreneur and stuff, they can read those for free. But there's also a sign up there. And what we've done for at least I'm going to say a short amount of time. I don't know how long we'll do it, but we're giving away one of my uh, hundred and some page books called Enlightened. And uh, so, you know, people listening, if they want to grab that, they can certainly go over to the website, sign up. It's free. Um, you're joining our newsletter tribe, but I always say, you know what, if you get the book and that's all you want, sign up five minutes later. I don't care. Um, as long as you get the book and, and it feed your mind and find a way to grow uh, your learning potential. So that speakerguide.com is pretty much where I would go for everything me. All right. Very good. Well, Corey, it has been fun. It has been uh, just, I, yeah, I, fun. I, I love, I love having these bouncy conversations. And uh, man, I, I really hope that uh, a lot of people take you up on your offer and 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 get the book. And and uh, like you said, start feeding your mind and looking for those those passions of of, of your why. So uh, from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate you being on the show. And uh, I have a feeling there'll probably be a conversation too really soon. Awesome stuff, Don. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. All right, thank you.